0: Our Father in heaven, the word of your mouth is better than to us than the thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned us. Give us understanding that we may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see us and rejoice because we have hoped in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may I now take your seats. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of Hosea chapter 5. And if you're using our pew pew Bibles, you can find that on page 956 to 957. It's that prophetic book right after Daniel and just before Joel. And it's in Hosea chapter 5 verses 1 to 15 that we'll be looking at. And uh, whenever I'm given the opportunity to preach, I've been picking up where I left off in Hosea. And it's here in Israel's history that the prophet continues to bring charges against her, which started these this charges in chapter 4, which will continue really throughout the book. And yet even though the message reveals judgment, remember, beloved, that God's ultimate desire is for restoration rather than condemnation. Restoration rather than condemnation. And so starting from chapter 5, verse 1, people of God, hear now God's holy word. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into, the sla- into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall, they shall go to seek the Lord. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Bethaven! We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like a dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a, lion, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will hear and go away and will carry off and no one shall rescue. I I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. If there's ever a time in your Christian life you think you can let your guard down or you think there's no need for correction or no need to be warned of the dangers of apostasy, that you don't need to be in constant watch over your soul or that you don't need to be persistently killing sin, then unfortunately we've misunderstood the truth. Because the reality is the Christian life in this age Involves an ongoing spiritual battle against sin. It's really spiritual warfare in us, beside us, and around us. And that has always been the reality, the the struggle since the fall of Adam. Because once you think you've arrived or that you think you've mastered how sin works. Then you quickly find yourself frustrated. Frustrated. Because oftentimes sin is so effective when it makes you believe that it isn't there until it's too late. And so for those who think you've arrived in the Christian life or think God's judgment against sin should be the least of our concern, well, think again. Because the Apostle Paul looks back at Israel's covenant breaking to warn the church in his day and even in our day saying, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10:12. In other words, be careful. Beware, pay attention so that you don't fall. Or in 2 Corinthians 13:5, Paul says, "Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith." And so it's even more, it's more true, especially in our day, where it's more challenging to be watchful, to be vigilant with, with a lot of things that could pull us in, in many directions. And so, beloved, we need that constant reminder to be on guard, to be vig, vigilant. And so I remember every time I'm uh, called to my chaplain duties at Nellis Air Force Base uh, up in Nevada, and I remember every time I'm pulling up to the main gate, I, I, I'm greeted by the security forces. And the security forces are like the military police of the Air Force. And so I see them, and, and as, I, as I pull up, I, I see them with their guns, right, fully loaded, bulletproof vests, trained to be on guard 24-7 to keep the base protected, to keep us safe when we sleep. And they make sure that the only authorized persons who can come in is with the proper identification. And if you're not authorized, then they won't let you in. Because even for just a moment, let's say the security forces happen to just let their guard down. Or or they get distracted on their shift. Well, guess what would happen? What would happen? Right? Someone who isn't authorized, perhaps... An enemy or a terrorist could easily slip through the gates and make their attack. And so, beloved, in the same way as we continue to examine the prophet's warning of sin and judgment in Israel's history in the 8th century BC, uh, we too must be, must pay careful attention to heed the warning in our own day, right? To be on guard Because Hosea's prophecy is meant for us to see sin for what it really is. That if you let that sin just slip through the gates. Right if you decide to play the whore and turn to the idols of your heart. There is certainty of divine judgment from a holy God. That you cannot escape. That you cannot hide from. Because the only way of escape to heed the Lord's call. It's really in verse 15 of chapter 5 in our passage to acknowledge our guilt, to seek His face in our distress and earnestly seek Him. Because the same Lord who can destroy body and soul is the same Lord who can give life to the body and soul. He has the power to renew you and to equip you to mortify sin in the flesh and it's him, beloved, that we must find our hope in our healing. And so the main truth of our passage in a nutshell is this, that since Christ is the only way to escape divine judgment, you must daily turn to him. You must daily abide in him, that, that being in him, that you can be renewed. So therefore you could put death, put to sin death. So that it, so that, so that it doesn't entice us. Wait, let me repeat that again. It kind of, (laughs) that, okay. Since Christ is the only way to escape divine judgment, you must daily turn to him, abide in him. That in being renewed by him, you must put to death sin that so entices us, right? That so entices us. And once again, just like the previous chapters with that same pattern of judgment and salvation, there are really three ways we can think about the reality of our guilt and and sin and how we must seek deliverance. And so there are three ways we can think about it. First, you must know the wickedness of sin, the wrath against sin, and finally, the way for renewal. The wickedness of sin the wrath against sin, and finally the way for renewal. And first we see the wickedness of sin. And we can see several charges against Israel, especially in the first half of chapter 5, which is really a continuation of the list of charges in chapter 4. And if you remember last time, one of the main charges that the Lord repeated was that God's people lack knowledge. God's people Lack knowledge. And why? Because their sinful hearts rejected true knowledge. And it was the true knowledge that the Lord had given them in his law. But they rejected it and they sought their own wisdom to live in rebellion. And so without true knowledge, beloved, you can never truly live the right way. Because in the first place, if your heart forgets God and his word, then there is a corresponding forgetfulness on how the Lord expects you to live. And so in our passage in chapter 5, verse 1, the Lord charges Israel and her leaders for their disobedience. We read in verse 1, Hear this, O priest, pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. Notice there how the Lord addresses the priest again. And then Israel as a whole. But then now for the first time in in Hosea's prophecy, he extends the scope to include the royal house, right? The, The kings of Israel. He says to them, O house of the king, this judgment is against you. So pay careful attention to my charges. And so the first charge is that the rulers... What were they doing? They were taking advantage of the people. We see that there in verse 1. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And so notice the Lord's choice of words. He accuses the leaders of being a snare and a net spread. It's an interesting hunting imagery. Because a snare and a net spread are tools that a hunter would use in the ancient world to to trap birds. And that's what the leaders were to the people. And as one commentator describes this, the leaders were like bird, bird traps that instead of guarding and protecting the people, they preyed on them. They abused them for their corrupt regime. And then second, we see that the Lord charges them for their murderous violence we read there in verse 2, the revolters, or in the NIV, the rebels, have gone deep into slaughter. And this is true of most northern kings, really, during Hosea's time, isn't it? Because after one king takes the throne, what happens? Then another person, lusting to be king, conspires an assassination against the king before him. And really, it's the same Uh, violence that continued to spiral deeper and deeper out of control. This was the wickedness of their sin that God detested. And then in verses 3 to 7, the Lord has much more to say against them. But this time he not only addresses the nation's rulers, but he goes on to address the people in general. He says in verse 3, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me, For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. It's interesting how the Lord will address national Israel in the north as both Israel and Ephraim really interchangeably. Because the tribe of Ephraim was one of those powerful tribes in Israel, the north, in which sometimes uh, they represented Israel as a whole. And so whenever we see the Lord address Israel or Ephraim here, just know that he's still addressing the nation in the, north, the northern kingdom as, as a whole. And it's really in this context that the Lord wants them to know that even though he knows them and he sees them, they, on the other hand, are incapable of knowing him. They are incapable of returning to the Lord. And why? Why? Because the Lord knows their hearts. And the Lord reveals the root problem in verse 4. For the spirit of whoredom is within them. Right? They played the whore. And they have defiled themselves. In verse 5, their own pride testifies that they're guilty. And just when we think that only Israel in the north is singled out. The prophecy introduces the judgment against Judah in the south. He says that Judah will also stumble with Israel. And then we see in verse 6 the irony. The irony there, how the people try to seek the Lord by way of bringing their animal sacrifice. But even that is foolish. Because God cannot be fooled. God cannot be fooled. He knows the heart, beloved. We read in verse 6, "...with their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord." but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. And why? Because it's a terrible thing to try to serve God when the heart is spiritually dead. When the heart refuses to give up on their sin. Because the truth is, beloved, no matter how right your worship appears on the outside, a heart that is not transformed from the inside could never please God. And so what kind of heart does the Lord expect from us? Well, the answer is not hidden. We read in Hosea chapter 6 that he desires a heart characterized by steadfast love and not sacrifice. Right? The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Righteousness and justice rather than sacrifice. Proverbs 21.3. And finally, we see the failure of the leaders and the whole nation to preserve true religion and so what religion can one generation pass down to the next what can the people teach their children except for the same spiritual unfaithfulness the same evil ways in which their fathers walked in this is why the Lord says in verse 7 the people have born alien children In other words, one generation commits the same spiritual whoredom just like the previous generation in which the Lord could not recognize the children of that previous generation are produced, are strangers to the Lord. Because like Gomer's children, they're Israel's children of whoredom. And so you see the Lord has revealed to us Israel's Long list of charges because it's our God, because it's for God's people really to realize in every age, especially in our day, right? The reality of our own depravity and our desperate need for the grace in Christ to deliver us. It's to show us that there's nothing in us that could perfectly love God, obey God seek God with all all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's why we're forever hopeless apart from the transforming work of Christ. It's in Him that we can truly be forgiven. It's in Him that we're given the true faith formed in us to receive His righteousness and to do what truly pleases Him that's marked by love and obedience. But not only... Do we see the wickedness of sin by hearing the list of these charges that were pronounced to God's people? But now we see in the latter half of chapter 5, God's wrath against sin. And and, and God will use vivid imagery to describe his wrath. And so that's the response from a holy God against his unfaithful people who have broken the national covenant. And in verse 7, because the people, we see, dealt faithlessly with the Lord, and now the covenant curses for disobedience will take everything that the Lord had given them in the land for their security, for their prosperity, and for their worship. And together with everything gone, they too will be devoured with their fields. And then in one scenario, we see the panic when judgment approaches the land we read in verse 8, blow the horn in Gebeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm at beth We follow you, O Benjamin. Or one translation there, behind you, O Benjamin. And so notice the cities that were mentioned, Gebeah, Ramah, and beth which in which Bethaven is also called Bethel. These are cities. Geographically, really, the succession of these cities uh, ran a straight line from, from bottom up. And these were the cities that were positioned right at the border between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And it was within the tribe of Benjamin, which, which held these cities uh, near the border. And so when Hosea calls these cities to sound the alarm, right, to blow the horn, it's a militaristic. <clears throat> Warning excuse me. <clears throat> Warning to alert the inhabitants that the enemy is coming. And so scholars are unsure of the particular event that took place when the alarms went off, but this was probably the Assyrian invasion entering Assyria entering Israel, in which they came up from Israel's border coming up from behind Benjamin. But really, despite the sounding alarm, the Lord's curse and judgment is for sure. They cannot defend themselves. Because in verse 9, the prophet goes on to say, Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. In other words, Israel in the north will be completely wiped out. In verse 11, they will be oppressed trust in judgment, because they went after filth. They went after spiritual whoredom. And then the judgment upon Israel in the north will also be the judgment to Judah in the south. Because in verse 10 we read that the princes of Judah have become like those who moved the landmark. Upon them the Lord will pour out his wrath like water. And what is moving the landmark? Well, moving the landmark in the ancient world is like violating the property line of your neighbor, right? By moving the line for your own personal gain. And Judah may not literally be moving the actual landmark, but it really carries the sentiment of violating the covenant. And so Judah in the south is guilty the same way Israel is guilty, and both are deserving of judgment, And the Lord uses the imagery of this raging water to describe how he'll pour out his wrath like a powerful tidal wave that ends up deadly, destroying everything it hits. But not only is the imagery of dangerous waters used to describe the Lord's wrath, we see the Lord using imagery of decay. We see there in verse 12, he says, but I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot, to the house of Judah. And what does the imagery of moth and rot indicate? As one commentator points out, they both indicate decay, right? Moth eat the clothing and destroy it. Well, rot is like that slow decaying of wood or bones. Job actually uses the same metaphor when he says, man wastes away like a rotten thing like a garment that is moth-eaten. And so the Lord gives us this vivid picture that his wrath is like decay, slowly eating away the body until you're gone. And then finally, the last imagery of wrath is that the Lord is is like a ferocious lion. We see there in verse 14, a lion who tears his prey apart in which no one could escape. And even when, in verse 13, when Ephraim and Judah saw that they were sick and wounded, who did they turn to for help? Who did they go to? But to the pagan nation Assyria, right? They asked for their help rather than turning to the Lord. And so because of their betrayal, the Lord will use the very same nation Assyria to invade the land and purge the people from the land. And so what hope is there for God's people in which the wickedness of sin has filled their hearts? What hope is there when God's wrath against sin is certain to come upon those who reject Him? Well, our passage could have ended in verse 14 in which no one could escape the wrath of God, but the Lord has other plans, right? We see there in verse 14, that he finally provides the way for renewal. right? He says, he says there, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. And so isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a comforting truth of the gospel that despite the failures of his people in history and the failures of his people now, We have a covenant-keeping God who never broke his, his promises. That even though God will require his wayward people to acknowledge their guilt and seek him, God has always been the author of salvation. He is the one who gives us the ability to realize our guilt. He is the one who gives us the power to turn from our sinful ways And yet the gift of new life in Christ didn't come to us because of our own merit, but rather by his merit, by Christ's merit. The one who lived in perfect obedience, yet while we were still sinners, he took the curse in our place and gave us his perfect righteousness. And so finally in closing, since we've seen the wickedness of sin and the wrath against sin and the way for renewal, Beloved, let us continue to cling to Christ, to turn to him, to abide in him, so that in him we may find that daily strength and renewal to put death, to put sin, death by his grace, by his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And so, beloved, let's give him all the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that as we continue to kindle often your wrath against us by our innumerable sins, O grant that when you warn us and that you would restore us to the right way, may we at least be willing and without delay attend to your loving discipline and not wait for extreme severity, but timely repent, and that we may truly from the heart seek you. Let us not put on false repentance, but strive to devote ourselves wholly to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.